You're the big man, I think. They, they, they cheat. You're the big man, I think. They, they, they cheat. You're the big man, I think. Hey, everyone. March 20th, 2023. So today... In our Sunday review of the mainstream media, we'll be looking at Face the Nation where Maggie Brennan interviewed North Carolina Republican Patrick McHenry, who is the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, who reiterates that ESG may have contributed to the failure of SVB and Signature Bank as he goes on to investigate the current financial crisis. But first, I'll be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. So let's get into it. All right, we're going to start out here with this article um, in the New York Times by Maggie Haberman at Al and... um, Trump claims his arrest is imminent and calls for protests echoing January 6th's indictment by a Manhattan grand jury is expected, but timing is unclear. So in this article here, I'll just read the lead. With a Manhattan grand jury indictment likely, uh, but it's timing unclear, Donald J. Trump, former president, sought to rally his supporters to his side, declaring that he would be arrested on Tuesday and calling for protesters. And he posted on Truth Social, far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protests take our nation back, which this is indeed unprecedented. And the fact that it seems like the New York Times is cheering this on by a Soros-appointed district attorney, Alvin Bragg, who has really caused um, mayor, the new mayor there, Eric Adams, to uh, wring his hands over the crime that he can't seem to stem, the crime wave he can't seem to stem, because of this really embattled uh, district attorney that people are starting, people of New York, uh, particularly Manhattan, are starting to get a little pissed at uh, because of this constant crime wave. But instead of um, dealing with the crime wave in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, as prosecutors before him, have vowed to go after Trump, where there's no, again, this is throwing uh, something at the wall to see if what sticks. Um Trump isn't a criminal, as many leftist mates might say, obviously. Two hours later, a spokesman issued a statement saying that Mr. Trump had not written his post with direct knowledge of the timing of the arrest, adding, President Trump is rightfully highlighting his innocence and the weaponization of our our injustice system, referring to the justice system uh, that has been weaponized. And you'll see later uh, with McHenry, he even said, because they talk uh, a little bit about 
what's going on with Trump and saying uh, and, and highlighting how the House Republicans have even uh, called a committee to investigate the weaponization of the justice system against political opponents. And they go on to write, but Mr. Trump's social media posts had immediate impact with an hour speaker, Kevin McCarthy, one of the most powerful people in the federal government and who partly owes his position to Mr. Trump, posted on Twitter that he was calling for an investigation into whether federal funds were being used for politically motivated prosecutions, a thinly veiled threat to Manhattan's district attorney, Alvin Bragg. A spokesman for the district attorney's office declined to comment. So we don't need to go any further into what the New York Times has to say about this issue because they're not even getting a quote from Alvin Bragg's office or even to go into that it's politically motivated because he owes his election to George Soros, which is the biggest donor to uh, leftist politics uh, that there is in America. And he's a foreign-born um, activist who funnels most of his money into what is called the Open Society Foundation, which basically opens up foreign governments into infiltration um, by leftists, most certainly. So also the New York Times on the front page had this article, Sandy Hook families are fighting Alex Jones and, and the bankruptcy a bankruptcy system itself, but the original... What caught my eye was not the fact that it was on the front page, A1, was the headline on Sunday was, in bankruptcy, a fabulous, fabulist finds a hiding place. And they changed the headline to Sandy Hook families are fighting Alex Jones and the bankruptcy system itself. Because, of course, in the paper, they wanted to uh, portray Alex Jones is a fabulist, which if you don't know what the meaning of that is, it just means a known liar and, and, and storyteller. So, what a, you know, Alex Jones may ex exaggerate, but he's usually on the money of what's going on uh, behind the door of politics. The article goes on in the subhead to say, as the family seek more than $1.4 awarded, which in itself is way above and beyond because they cannot prove the damage is done to these parents by, by Alex Jones and Infowars simply bringing up alternative uh, explanations for what happened at Sandy Hook. So, and, and they're, you know, tr a trillion dollars, some say, 1.4 billion awarded by courts by Mr. Jones lies. A New York Times review shows he is transferring millions of dollars to family and friends, potentially out of the reach of creditors, which most people do. Obviously, that... Uh, this is an unjust civil case because you can't prove 1.4 billion that these people, these parents were damaged financially to the point of $1.4 billion and you can't somehow justify, we can go into the case at length, you can't have somehow justify emotional suffering to $1.4 billion, maybe millions of dollars, I would say. But $1.4 billion, I mean, $1,000 million of emotional suffering. And, and, to, and to link it to Alex Jones is, is really quite ridiculous because he didn't say anything about the families. He, he called, he, uh, particularly not even these families, but some other families um, that uh, 
First, first of all, there's a lot to, to be said by uh, about Sandy Hook that uh, people don't want to hear about. The Infowars uh, conspiracy broadcaster Alex Jones, who faces more than $1.4 billion le- in legal damages for defaming the families of the Sandy Hook shooting victims, has devised a new way to taunt them, wriggling out of paying them the money he owed by declaring bankruptcy of his company. And, 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 and companies do this all the time because it wasn't him personally, it was the broadcast that they said defamed these people and and they can't really, he wasn't allowed to put up a defense and he can't even really point to the defaming article itself or what he said on his broadcast that defamed these people. He just outlined that there could be uh, alternative explanations for what happened and whether or not um, as many people died in the way they died is under question. So uh, one lie puts everything in question. So, and I doubt very much that um, Adam Lanza was the shooter here and, and whether the exact amount of people and who died is is, is questionable. So, sorry, I'm, I'm questioning the, uh, the uh, official narrative of the story, but this goes all the way back to 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or the Gulf Tonkin or the USS Liberty or, you know, on and on and on about lies, lies and lies and never trust known liars and these people and this whole thing um, uh, just made people skeptical of the official narrative or the Boston bombing or anything like that. And we're not gonna go and digress into whether or not uh, the official narrative of, of this event was legitimate, but people under your right to free speech, people have the right to criticize Official narratives. You know, if everyone was always telling the truth, maybe you could say, hey, we always tell the truth, but they're not telling the truth. Not about anything, not about the coronavirus or the vaccines or, so why should we believe anything that's told? So, but he's using the bankruptcy bankruptcy system in, in a legal way, and now they have a problem with that. That first of all, the, the ruling was unjust, the proceedings were unjust, and so the fact that he can wriggle out uh, uh, of his responsibility here, like many people do somehow, now we have to look at the bankruptcy system because Alex Jones, who didn't do anything except sit on, <laughs> it's not even a public news show uh, on television, it's an internet guy, has an internet show, and he said some things uh, questioning the official narrative and somehow he owes you $1.4 billion because of nothing. So we're going to get into this story on the business section. Uh, where did all your Zoom friends go? And the official uh, headline on Sunday was, if you miss your gallery view, you're not alone. And this business story is trying to push people back into their homes and say, people loved to sit at home and not go to the office and have meetings and, and stuff and have all these Zoom friends Where did they all go? They got lost in this weird moment where the world is caught between crisis and normalcy, nostalgic for house parties and house party two. In other words, this is glorifying when people were stuck in their homes and the only way to see and communicate with the outside world was over the internet, uh, uh, over Zoom calls and gallery views and all this stuff. Um, And this is where they wanna put you basically in the metaverse and sitting at home. And that's why I started 
this podcast is because God knows if we're ever going to be let out again or soon be put back down into lockdown. So I developed a platform that at least would give me an opportunity to, you know, try to figure out what the facts are and, and look at the news coverage and see where people are lying and what propaganda they're pushing and what they're trying to make you think and how they're trying to shape your perspective and what the reality is. Uh, you know, basically read between the lines uh, of reality. So we're gonna, we didn't go really into that, you know, because people don't wanna, people like face-to-face, -face. human contact is essential and people crave it. So there's no, nothing really to discuss there that you, you need to go out and be with people and, and stop thinking that it's normal to communicate with people over Zoom calls and over these cameras and what have you. So the editorial board for the New York Times is humanity is facing a great injustice, the World Bank must respond. And I'm not even gonna read much into this article, but basically what this is is justifying ESG because ESG is, is basically on the chopping block and in the firing line now of people are realizing what, what happened with Sri Lanka and now with his bank failures, because like everything else, like people are finding out who was really responsible for the Nord Stream pipeline uh, explosion and they have to come out with another cover article. No, it was German pleasure boaters. And, um, and they're finding out that the coronavirus was actually made in a lab and then possibly released or at the very most, most likely leaked. So now no, it's raccoon dogs. And the reason you can't have uh, you know, children exposed to uh, queer theory is because the Nazis don't want it or the Patriot Front don't want it, so all these friggin' lies. So now they're coming to the rescue of ESG and they're saying humanity is facing a great injustice. The World Bank must respond. And I'll just read the, the lead up to this. The World Bank and the donor countries that control it can do more to step up and tackle this generational challenge, speaking of climate change. To make the World Bank and other multilateral lending institutions fit for purpose of the 20th century, leaders need to figure out how to raise and leverage the massive amounts of capital that are going to be necessary in the coming years to help countries adapt and mitigate changing climate. So it's just uh, the editorial board is cheerleading ESG. So this supposedly bastion of journalism in the New York Times is they're not even talking about how man-made climate change is even proven that climate change is a regular occurrence and trying to link pollution to climate change is a difficult task to do whether the climate is warming or it's cooling or forest fires or whatever or hurricanes or the strength of hurricanes or how any of these can be contributed to climate change or raise, you know, rising sea levels, you know, if any of this is even measurable or that it could be linked to man-made climate change. I'm not for pollution, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not defending corporations here or, or chemical companies that pollute or for plastics polluting the oceans or, or whatever, X, Y, Z. I'm not, I'm not for pollution. However, I'm for facts and there are no facts that are pointing to uh, anthropogenic climate change. So there isn't. And, and I'm not against carbon or carbon uh, dioxide because that's a naturally occurring gas and it, you know, the, the climate needs it and all these other stuff and, and methane and, and you know, war on methane. I'm not even going. But what this is, editorial board is trying to 
um, prop up and buttress ESG, which there's no, <laughs> in, in capitalist society, there's no room. Sure, I'm not saying that corporations or, or capitalist entities, there's not room for them to be um, responsible. There has to be some responsibility there. But this climate change hysteria is basically about control, population control on the, you know, on the far end and behavioral control on the low end. So we wanted to get into the next opinion piece here um, by David Brooks. Trump and DeSantis could both lose. The actual headline for this opinion piece uh, on Sunday in the New York Times was, um, and, and for the last opinion piece, they also changed the headline. Um, so the last opinion piece, uh, the headline was how the World Bank can help countries hurt by climate change. And that was obvious uh, in the article, um, but they changed it around. But the article here by David Brooks was the post-Tucker conservatives have arrived and then um, they changed the headline of this opinion piece that Trump and DeSantis could both lose. There are two different narratives running through the Republican Party right now, who David Brooks claims he's a Republican. He's not really. There, um, the first is the Trumpian populist narrative we're all familiar with. American carnage. The elites have betrayed us. The left is destroying us. I am your retribution. Well, Trump is the retribution. That's, who knows if that's, correct or not, but what we do need is an American first policy to put America and Americans, American citizens first in American policy. So the the first thing that politicians in the federal, in government should do, in the U.S. government should do, is put Americans, the citizens of America first in their policy decisions. And he goes on to say, on the other hand, Republican governors from places like Georgia, Virginia, and New Hampshire, often New Hampshire, <laughs> I mean, come on, Sununu, they're from a political family, often have a different story to tell. There are running, growing, prospering states. Seven of the 10 fastest growing states have Republican governors, while eight of the 10 fastest shrinking states have Democratic governors. That just has to go with what party is better and that goes to the fundamentals of individualism versus socialism. It doesn't have to do, it's like a Republican state is better than a Democratic state, first of all. Now, they're going to debate here of whether or not a, a MAGA state is better than a traditional Republican state. Who knows and who cares? But where can you point to MAGA states? Well, maybe Florida. Okay. But Florida has the the biggest influx of, of new residents out of any other, other state. So wash away all this stupid shit by David Brooks, this asshole who doesn't look at the facts and doesn't give you the whole story. So their stories are not about the left behind. They can tell stories about the places people are leaving for, Florida, mostly, which is a MAGA state. Their most appealing narratives, jobs and people are coming to us. We've got the better model. We're providing business-like leadership to keep it going. So again, he's arguing for um, 
the better business, you know, the, the business model of Republicanism or whether or not that these organizations that support business, whether or not that's what people are, are, are driving towards. And that's not necessarily it because the overwhelming populist message is anti-establishment and particularly anti-corporate. So people don't, and David Brooks is in his ivory tower is too stupid. Why don't you go amongst the real people and, and figure out what people are thinking? These different narratives yield different political messages. The bellicose populists put culture war issues front and center. Not necessarily. The conservative governors certainly play the values card, especially when schools try to usurp the role of parents. So nod to Glenn Youngkin. But they are, or, or even Ron DeSantis, but they are strongest when emph emphasizing pocketbook issues and quality of life issues. So he's going to go on and, and sell the traditional Republican narrative, um, which is losing. And you can see it as a, when people support Republican candidates, it's mostly America First MAGA candidates because they want a resurgence of Americanism. And that's what I said previously is that. Uh, GOP politicians have to support American citizens. The two narratives produce a radically different emotional vibe. The Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson orbit is rife with indignation and fury. Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, Virginia's Glenn Youngkin and previous Arizona Governor Doug Ducey are warm, upbeat people, warm, upbeat people who actually enjoy their fellow human beings. So does MAGA. You ever, ever been to a MAGA or Donald Trump rally? It's, it, it, they enjoy their fellow human beings as well. He's trying to paint this illusion, the narrative about MAGA. If American politics works the way it should, then Republican primaries would be a contest between these two different narratives and governing styles between populism and conservatism. It's the same. Look at, look at last week, okay? You talked about uh, Massey, Thomas Massey, okay? Is he a traditional conservative? He's certainly a conservative, but is he a traditional corporatist is what um, David Brooks is arguing to go back to those days of GOP conservatism where they protected corporatism. It's just not real. So speaking of conservatives, uh, conservatism, we're going to talk, um, we're going to look at uh, the appearance of representative he represents the 10th uh district in north carolina patrick mchenry who's the chair of the house financial services committee um who is interviewed by maggie brennan so let's just look at his um appearance on that program <laughs> We are joined now by the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry. Speaker McCarthy has said he's directing Congress to investigate, he tweeted, whether federal funds are being used by the state of New York where a grand jury may soon indict the 45th president. I think the viable question for the American people is whether or not you have a progressive prosecutor using the justice system to go after political enemies for a political splash. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be the case here uh, with uh, the Manhattan DA. 
Well, I think it's a questionable use of taxpayer money to allow a prosecutor to use the justice system to go after. It's becoming a problem for Americans when you see people targeted. Um, in the, um, and, and that's the reason why Speaker McCarthy set up the Weaponization of Government Committee yeah. uh, for the, within the uh, yeah. uh, Judiciary Committee. Should one of the two big-to-fail banks, the large, systemically important banks, be able to step in here and buy up a troubled bank like First Republic. What? Uh, I think all options should be on the table. Uh, that's what I'm considering legislatively. That's what I would encourage the administration to consider as well. Now, mm -hmm. that's the reason why I supported the uh, FDIC and uh, Feds and yeah. Treasury's decision uh, last Sunday night. I thought it was an imperative for the country. Mm -hmm. Is the who, what, when, where, why, and how of these bank failures? Mm -hmm. We saw a private sector response to help support a bank. Right. Was that a viable option last weekend, or was there an ideological lens that prevented them uh, from taking these institutions and making it uh, less turbulent for America? The Biden administration uh, didn't want a big bank to come to the rescue here. The FDIC had a viable buyer yeah. last weekend. We have press reports of two, two banks that we're at the table. We have comments from other bankers that they were prevented from bidding, especially but you're suggesting in a it like could this. have made things worse. Well, I think we know we had a very rough week for American yeah. banking, and we la uh, lost confidence. And, and I think that, is, that raises the questions of what happened last weekend. Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, suggests that she would favor um, a congressional initiative to lift the insurance on un currently uninsured deposits, those above $250,000. <clears throat> she put a cap of 2 to $10 million. What? For how long? How big? What? <laughs> That's not funny! Who does that apply to? Well, it's the first time I've heard a proposal like that. Uh, and I have not had a single conversation with the White House or the uh, administration about uh, deposit insurance changing the levels. Mm -hmm. We did it after the last financial crisis, yeah. raising from 100000 to 250000 We need to understand the decisions that were made last weekend. Um, uh, on from Thursday until Sunday night yeah. on whether or not there's a viable private sector solution. We also need to understand the underlying causes of the collapse of these banks, mm -hmm. and we're going to get to that. The question of the San Francisco Fed is a question of supervision. Yep. We need to get to the bottom of whether or not this is a supervisory problem, a regulatory problem, a bank mismanagement problem, perhaps all three. Conservatives like Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, your colleague James Comer, um, they're throwing around terms like woke banks advancing the liberal agenda. They're blaming diversity and environmental initiatives. But when it comes to the question of ESG and these initiatives, my environmental social uh, and governance, right, right, and the encouragement of companies to take that into consideration with their investment. Yes. So there is, there has been a lot of political debate about that. There is substance here, and if the management of these institutions was much more concerned about politics. Mm -hmm. or the environmental or social goods, mm -hmm. rather than the governance regulations, ensuring you had a capable board, you had proper oversight of yeah. people's deposits, then this shows they had mismanagement. So I think there, there are you natural have questions of that, we that, have. That, that, I mean, there wasn't a risk officer fully at Silicon Valley Bank for an extended period of time. Yes, and you had very few people that had banking expertise on the board mm. of the bank. So there are some questions, natural questions we should raise. But that's, bad, should, mis that's bad management. When we have the speed of Twitter and a bank run, uh, and the speed of electronic banking, those things are things that we need to look at legislatively and regulatorily. Yeah. The question of performance of bank executives, 
We certainly need to look at that and make sure that yeah. they're aligned with consumer protection and depositor interest. Yes. don't <laughs> um this critical theory bullshit and this whether it's about climate or culture or whatever you know it's 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 ruining society you can't just go around uh lambasting things you think are 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 evil or, or people uh, uh, po political points of view that you think are evil because of something you heard in school or whatever. The reality is the people that are evil are the ones that are putting up this narrative that, you know, you gotta be scared of, you know, the world's gonna end in 10 years or whatever, and that there's Nazis hiding under every bed and, and behind every Republican lapel pin. You know, ready to lynch people at a motive, you know, whether it's trans people or black people, they're going to be a lynching. It's just, it's not real. We have serious things to think about. Society and civilization is really, well, it's predicated on, but it's, it's really a house of cards, especially the financial institutions, that one wrong move, it's like Jenga, and you're, the whole thing is going to be crashing down. And so is that a good time to start instituting new ways of looking at things, whether it's digital currency or it's ESG? I mean, we saw what happened in Sri Lanka. You wanna bring that here? Of course not. All right, that's it for me, Rudy's Revelation. Don't forget to like, subscribe. Leave a comment down below. Follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Get Our Minds.